3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to another Thursday breakfast. It's the 8th of October. Good morning, Carly. Good morning, listeners. Morning, Sherazad. Good morning, listeners. Hope everybody is feeling great in Nam, um, or if you're joining us from further afield. Um, interesting weather yet again. Um, I actually had heat stroke last week, and then now I'm freezing and in my like big thick jacket. Um, so you know, Melbourne is still keeping us on our toes. Um, so after the news with Kate Kelly, you'll be playing a selection of music, Carl. Yeah, yeah. There's been so many new releases um, during this pandemic. And so, yeah, just really wanted to play some local acts and also a lot of up-and-coming young First Nations artists. Yeah, so I'm going to play a 30-minute mix for everybody and hope you enjoy it. Uh, and then we're going to hear a segment from Women on the Line. Uh, so this aired on the 28th of September, and it was presented by Anya Saravanan and produced by Ayan Shira. Um, so we're here an interview with Dr. Kate Shaw on the policy of social mixing on Carlton's public housing estate as part of 3CR's Women on the Line program. Next up. And, and then, well, for this week's writing poetry segment, we hear three poems by Rebecca Jensen. She has two books published with the University of Queensland Press. Her poetry collection, Ask Me About the Future, is out now. And you can also follow her on Instagram, which is at Beck Jensen, spelled B-E-C-J-E-S-S-E-N. And then I will give a quick rundown on what's happening in Morocco. Another journalist has been arrested and he was a key witness in the trial against prominent critical journalist Omar Radu. And then lastly, Zachary, a delegate for the Renters and Housing Union, or RAHU, joins Priya to discuss RAHU's origins, work and concerns regarding Victorian renters' rights during COVID-19. And now we're going to go to Kate Kelly with the headlines. Good morning, I'm Kate Kelly and here are the top stories on 3CR this Thursday. Traditional owners fighting to protect thousands of trees along the Western Highway are taking the Federal Environment Minister to court for a third time, but the Andrews government is moving ahead with the project. So the Andrews government is pushing ahead with work on the $157 million highway duplication northwest of Melbourne, resisting calls for them to wait until the court case is resolved. Contractors started felling a number of trees last week as protesters were forced to remain home under stage 4 lockdown restrictions. So construction crews have marked several trees in red paint to identify which will be felled. 
as they advanced towards century-old trees considered sacred by the Jaburung. Workers are within kilometres of the of the Directions Tree, a towering yellow box with a distinctive serpent-like swirl on its trunk, and even closer to a 700-year-old eucalypt grandfather tree. So the trees have been fiercely guarded by the Jaburung Embassy and hundreds of supporters since mid-2018, with protesters staring down police efforts to carry out eviction orders on several occasions. The Jaburung have filed proceedings in the federal court requesting a review of Federal Environment Minister Susan Lee's approval for the project in August. So this is the third time the traditional owners have requested a judicial review of an Environment Minister's approval following two earlier successful bids. And to federal politics, where the Australian Institute has said the budget confirms the government's commitment to fossil fuels with just token support for green technologies and renewables. So the Morrison government's environment and energy budget consists largely of pre-announced items, including funding for its technology roadmap for reducing Australia's emissions and $52 million for the expansion of Australia's gas industry. In the year of Australia's worst bushfire crisis, there is little in the way of new funding for environmental protection. Tuesday's budget reiterated the government's plan to fund the Australian Renewable Energy Agency for a further 10 years, and the Energy Minister Angus Taylor announced in September the government would overhaul and... Uh, overhaul the investment mandate of Australia's clean energy agencies to decrease investment in solar and wind and increase investment in hydrogen, carbon capture and storage and energy efficiency. There is $52.9 million for the coalition's controversial investments in um, fossil fuels, namely in gas, which, according to climate change experts, is set to release almost as many emissions as coal. And in international news, Indonesian police have used water cannon and tear gas to disperse protesters rallying against new job laws in two cities on the island of Java. So thousands of workers and students have had protested peacefully at the start of the three-day national strike against President Joko Widodo's job creation bill, which was passed into law on Monday. So videos have been posted to uh, on Twitter and social media accounts showing poli- showing police late in the evening using water cannon cannons against hundreds of protesters in the Banten province, which sits about seven, seventy kilometers to the west of Jakarta. Other posts on social media appear to show water cannon being used on students. So in the capital of West Java province, police used tear gas against protesters who hurled rocks and firecrackers and damaged a police car. Critics of the law, um, which revises more than 70 existing laws to accelerate reform of Southeast Asia's largest economy, say it is too pro-business with its removal of labour protections and the relaxation of environmental rules. And that's it for Thursday's headlines. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast 855 AM. Today I am putting together a selection of local music. So I'm going to be featuring a lot of new upcoming First Nations artists as well as a few of some old favourites of mine. So let's get into it. This is Misha's Twisting Words. My mother is a river but the skipping stone 
Nisha's twisting words. Now we're heading into T Breezy, TL Freestyle. All we ever wanted was to be hood rich. Now I mix a match, lad. You know I'm the shit. Might wear a bit of that, might be a bit of this. Balling like I'm curry, ayy. With the swish, I'm in to check at the shine coming from my wrist. Try not to step too long, cause it'll blind you, it's a risk. This the trap lifestyle pack, it comes with your bitch. I know for a fact you won't see nothing like this. Cause ain't nobody like me, I'm just too unique. Remember back on staff, I never thought I'd make it here. Now big OV on my shoe, I got some racks on me this year. You can't slow me down on this track when I'm shifting gears. Cause my whip worth more, check out my suicide doors. When I pull up at your door, it's a homicide. 
side, of course. If you wanna go to war, we got soldiers at the ready. We gon' bring the force, so I hope to God these ops are ready. But the flood doors on the Rari, my money steady. Counting up my guap, got so much I feel like royalty. Going off like Rainbow, but you can call me Ned Kelly. Pop up in your nightmares, come after you like Jason Freddy. Emperor of the band, though, I make this shit look way too easy. Scott them points like John Wick, now this ain't no Call of Duty. I'm just out here trying to set my own legacy. All you dumb cunts worry about using MTV. Yeah, it's pretty cool when you get up on the big screen. But it ain't worth shit if you ain't trying to set a legacy. I was with my wrist in the trap. Yeah, just follow in the recipe. Scoring them points for the gang. But we ain't had no referee. This lifestyle ain't no game. So don't you dare try test me. I'll put you boys to shame. When I hit a different melody, this little crazy B, I'm gon' take over this industry. I'm back, baby. Hey, turn me up a bit. Turn me up some. Yeah. Ooh. Hey, look. They're like, ain't no way he back. Guess again, your best pretend to play dead, cause I'm ready to attack. JK47, who that? Sharper than targets, teeth wanna ride these beats at a level they ain't never gonna match. Too quick, run it up like dash. I'm on a mission, I gotta get that bag. And I know they said that it wouldn't be Jack. Guess again, your best pretend to play dead, cause I'm ready to attack. Cause I can't stand half these cats. Grind all week and I hardly sleep, forget counting sheep, I wanna count these cash. Can't quit now, can't look back. Stay on a mission until I get that bag. If I say it, you best to believe it. Couldn't nobody beat this. Work putting food on the table, but I don't serve no customer pizza. Nerve hit us up for a feature. Uh huh, yep, you know what it is. Pick up the pen and the pad, put tweet on the map for rapping. Now we up in this bitch, huh? I'd rather be up on my shit than be puffing a spliff with a cup of that liquor. Had enough of getting high all the time, now I see the bigger picture. I can't be bitter and bicker though. Got a plan way bigger than that, cause we never really was rich, bro. We had to spend every dollar we had. I ain't never going back. Do a die, no cap. I never slack. I'll be tired all the time. Bags under my eyes till I get the cap. I ain't never going back to a die, no cap. I never slack. I be tired all the time. Bags under my eyes till I get the cash. Thought it wasn't all that. Guess again, your best pretend to play dead, cause I'm ready to attack. JK47, who that? Sharper than Tiger's teeth, wanna ride these beats at a level they ain't never gonna match. Too quick, run it up like Dash. I'm on a mission, I gotta get that back. And I know they said that it wouldn't be Jack. Guess again, your best pretend to play dead, cause I'm ready to attack. Cause I can't stand half these cats. Grind all week and I hardly sleep, forget counting sheep, I wanna count this cash. Can't quit now, can't look back. Stay on a mission until I get that back. Facts. Wishing, fuck this system. I'ma take what I want, not gonna stop for no one, not once. You better get lost if you're trying to drag me down. Yeah, brother, look at me now. GM in the ECB now. We ain't being E now. Looking for the week, I'm a C now. On the ball, looking for a rebound. I'm back with a little bit more than I have before. I spit on the mic and I ask some more. Me and JK lit, but we keep it raw, raw. Like a paper. Roll that shit like a baker. I was never one to listen to a hater, but you can bet when the pay comes. I'ma split that shit with my day ones. No doubt, my shit, no fake ones. JK run it up to the day's done. You bet, you bet, you bet. Again, your best pretend to play dead, cause I'm ready to attack. JK47, who that? Sharper than Tiger's teeth when I ride these beats at a level they ain't never gonna match. Too quick, running up like Dash. I'm on a mission, I gotta get that bag, and I know they said that I wouldn't be Jack. That epic track was Guess Again by JK47, and we're heading into another young indigenous artist, the kid Leroy. Let her go. In love with the money, it's fuck them all. You fuck them, my bro, I can't fuck with y'all. I don't want her unless she gon' do the dog. I got everything I ever prayed for. The shawty gon' suck it right through the drugs. I peace to the ones I forever lost. I peace to the money, I ran it up. If she got Michael Jack, I'ma let her know. And if she do how she say, then I can't let her go. Oh, I can't let her go. 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 All in all, she 
go on and on, on, on. Bitch, get up off my motherfucking phone, phone, phone. All these bigger knockers get these bands on my lawn, lawn, lawn. Collect that shit and fuck it up, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, new bands, new bands. I'ma see you later, shawty. New crib, new crib. Fuck about that all. I do what I do 'cause I am who I am. Yeah, I don't need a reason or an explanation. And that's just the way it is, the way the way. And that's the way it is, the way the way. Yeah, Aaron's in on my own. And that's why she keep calling my phone. What's it called? In love with the money, it's fuck em all. You fucked up my bro, I can't fuck with y'all. I don't want her unless she gon' do the dog. I got everything I ever prayed for. This shawty gon' suck it right through the drugs. I repeat to the ones I forever love. So I repeat to the money I ran it up. If she bad, Michael Jack, I'ma let her know. And if she How she say that I can't let her go. Oh, I can't let her go. I can't let her go. I can't let her go. I can't let her go.
was Sidestep by Calypso, and this is Shake by Sophie Griffey. Other girls and their husbands, they whip cribs and kids, that's how a family functions. We face obstacles, that's not cool, but you got to choose what's best for you. I see you trying to better yourself and trying to better your health. I see you getting closer yeah, yeah. every day. That's just super understanding what the master plan. Ni nigga ukuluwa trying to 
find another hand. I'm pushing through the storm, being better than I am. When I make a bigger stride, I was trying to push me down. Man, I'm bigger than the image and the fans. Vision is precision, I can see right through the brands. See right through the smoke. Life is not a joke. When I finally drop my mask, my mirror, it almost broke. I was told the storm would go away. Darkest times, I pray for better days. Ayo. Ayo. So I get my mental straight, write my problems with the pencil, break therapeutic. If it puts me in a better place, I gotta do it. Instead of losing myself, I found music, real talk. I've been down and out, and I'm back now. You can't count me out, I never back down. And that goes to anybody with problems. I get help, but maybe we can solve them. Not when they get the ripple left, I go. Man, I got no issue. Just know that I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. We, We with you. Give it up. Give it up to sunrise. We standing strong through the dark times. That's who we are. Hey, baby. We're never gonna stop the rain. Give it up. Give it up to featuring Baker Boy, Dallas Woods, and Sam the Great. Now let's go into Shook by TK Meister. Jackson putting into bed with a napkin, platinum plaques coming dreams like a Malcolm. Big ass rims going forward in a falcon. Came into the biz, said I wouldn't boy dim, and I made a city pop. No, I am the study quiz. These hands, yeah, I got them all shook. Earthquake, yeah, I got them all shook. I came out of play by the book. Yeah, I make the bands, yeah, I got them all shook. These men looking at me all shook. Talk about it, but they're never gonna do it. I came out of play by the book. Yeah, I make the bands, yeah, I got them all shook. 
Got a drip lock, fit as looking pish posh. I be in my bag, I don't dance around TikTok. Gold on my wings like I'm Huckleberry Finn. Blown like a bubble popping all up in the wind. Flow paraffin, holes like I'm Ferg. House in the burbs, I tip the bird, I tip the words. Snug with the guns, Peter Papa question, couldn't get me on a run like. Pardon me, don't really care. Pardon those in my DMs, I be looking in my ear. Intuition with a vision, see my future really clear. I'm strapped in a sea, boom, boom, and I'm there. I swerve. I'm bitches, why they even got nerve? Outside, they be looking like squirrel. No time for a hater, I squirrel. Ching, if you got them, pull them right now. Earthquake, yeah, I got them all shook. Earthquake, yeah, I got them all shook. I came out of play by the book. Yeah, I make the bands, yeah, I got them all shook. These men looking at me all shook. Talk about it, but they never gon' do it. I came out and play it by the book. Yeah, I make the bands, yeah, I got them all shook. Touch trying to make your blood rush. Mr. Bad and Bully, baby, call me Shabba. Oh, hey, 
The body's rocking and I feel alright. Late nights with the golden job, we dance all night. Hey, I got the vibe to set your night time vibe. Hell yeah, we order about it till the club runs out. They can't fuck with my vibe tonight. They can't fuck with my style tonight. They can't fuck with my wave tonight. No, 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 no. Hey, the body's rocking and I feel alright. Late nights with the golden job, they dance all night. Hey, I got the vibe to set your night time vibe. Hell yeah, we order about it till the club runs out. They can't. Fuck with my whip tonight, they gone. Fuck with my back tonight, they gone. Fuck with myself tonight, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah. one of my favourite songs of 2017, Late Nights by Camouflage Rose. Thank you so much for listening to 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast, 8.55am. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Next up, we hear a segment from 3CR's Women on the Line program. So, um, we're going to hear an interview with Dr. Kate Shaw on the policy of social mixing on Carlton's public housing estate. And this episode of Women on the Line was aired on Monday, the 28th of September. The episode was presented by Anya Saravanan and produced by Ayan Shirwa. And we pick up with Dr. Kate Shaw talking about her research into the Carlton Redevelopment Project. And you published alongside Abdullahi Jama a study into the Carlton Housing Redevelopment Project. Can you give us an overview of what that study was about? Yeah, Abdullahi did his master's thesis with me um, in the School of Geography, and and look, it was a very it was a very interesting thesis. He did some really excellent work. Um, the thesis was called "Why Do We Need Social Mix?" Um, and his premise was when government policies to build private housing on public housing estates in order to fund the upgrades to the public housing that's on those sites Um, and with this ostensible um, benefit to the public housing tenants of having more private tenants on the estate, he said actually the effects are often quite detrimental. So, for example, and he he opens his thesis with this wonderful sort of vignette um, when the kids from the estate are playing basketball outside um, and some of the white private residences, residents that have moved into the estate are complaining about the fact that there are black kids hanging out on the basketball court, um, that they don't like the lights on at night um, because it disturbs their sleep or whatever it is. So, um, at, you know, at a certain time, the lights go off. 
And so in Abdullahi's vignette, it's sort of like, oh, man, okay, the lights have gone off again. It's like, you know, okay, so people are complaining. So, you know, how is this, how is this social mix actually good for us? Mm. Yeah. Can you explain what social mix means? Yeah, it's, well, it's a mix of housing tenures, firstly, I suppose. Um, the idea from a certain kind of sector of somewhat patronising do-gooders, I would think, is that there is this idea that private middle-class residents bring somehow a, um, you know, a civilising or positive, you know, influence on public housing tenants. Um, um, the, the way that that mix is actually enacted on public housing estates that are being redeveloped is that the land around the towers they were quite you know, familiar with, the, you know, the high-rise towers, uh, you know, that, that characterised public housing estates um, in um, the inner cities of Australia uh, and the UK and the US, of course, um, the general pattern is that the land around those towers is sold to developers, the developers build private housing on that land and that the profits they make from the private housing are able to fund upgrades to or construction of new public housing. Mm. So there's a, um, well, there's a bunch of problems with that in that to start with anyway, the program um, resulted in fewer public housing units being built than what were demolished, if they were demolished. Usually the walk-ups, um, the old walk-ups would be demolished because they yield a lot of land uh, and, and you would actually have a reduction in the number of um, public housing units. Mm -hmm. um, then they started to increase the number of units but decrease the number of beds. Uh, and often in the walk-up flats, um, that's where the three and four bedroom uh, apartments are. Um, and when they're being replaced by one and two bedroom apartments, not only have you got fewer um, tenancies, fewer beds and, and bedrooms, um, for people on public housing waiting lists. But also there is a kind of a cultural cleansing, right, um, because often the families um, that require three and four bedroom flats uh, increasingly in Australia, in, 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 in inner Melbourne and inner Sydney in, at least, um, are refugee families, often, often from the Middle East and, you know, the Horn of Africa uh, is, is a very kind of typical um, group that had had big families that used those um, larger flats, and so when they are being relocated and replacement flats are one and two bedrooms, those families can't come back. I think more problematically, and, and what Abdullahi was getting at, is that this idea of you know middle class white people. Um, having a positive influence on the social mobility is the words they use of um, public housing tenants, often people of colour. Um, even if there were some positive influence, and that is not proven by any means, but even then 
it actually is premised on people mixing, on actually people from different cultural backgrounds um, and groups and socioeconomic status mm. talking. Yeah. But in any event, the mixing doesn't occur for a whole bunch of reasons. And this is where Abdullahi's work was really interesting, but he was saying that there are a lot of uh, divisions along cultural, ethnic, religious lines. There are a whole lot of different fault lines um, that provide obstacles to people crossing over. And if they are to be crossed over, then the people actually need to be side by side. They need to be living side by side with each other. And, of course, in this program that we have in Melbourne, the flats, the private and public flats, are not salt and peppered throughout an entire block. We have one block for public housing tenants and another block quite separate for private tenants, mm -hmm. um, for private residents. Uh, and, and often they're separated by gardens. And in the case of Carlton, they're separated by a wall, um, you know, which we kind of call the Berlin Wall, that, you know, actu actually prevented public housing tenants from going into the private gardens of the private residents. That was an, 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 an initiative of the developer because the developer was concerned um, that private tenants may not want to live so closely to public tenants. Um, so there's all these kind of really like nasty assumptions sure. um, that go on here. Yeah. But look, at the end of the day, mm. the actual amount of space for public tenancy and public occupation is, is reduced. Mm. Um, and, and so it's perfectly reasonable to talk about the estates under this program as being privatised. Now that we have a better understanding of the Carlton Redevelopment Project, let's unpack the arguments used to justify the wholesale sell-off of public land. And the other thing that the supporters of social mixed policies often argue is that this model reduces concentrations of poverty I have a two-part question in relation to that statement. A, does this argument hold weight? And B, are there reasons why certain communities would choose to live in concentrated areas? To, to take the first question first, does it actually hold weight? That depends entirely on the scale um, at which you are looking at it. If you look at the Carlton or Kensington or actually any of the public housing estates in, in Melbourne, they are little kind of islands of you know, concentrated poverty. That's why those people are in public housing, in seas of private housing. The estates are little islands in oceans of suburbs of gentrifying privately owned you know, neighbourhoods. So um, if you look at it at that broader scale, by no means is the um, the program actually deconcentrating poverty at all. It is just kind of reducing the little pocket of poverty. If you home in on that little pocket, actually the amount of public land on the estate has been shrunk. And when they're keeping the same number of apartments there, um, even if it's not the same number of people, they're actually increasing the concentration <laughs> of poverty because they've squished them into one end of the estate. Mm. But again, 
Uh, I think your question is, your second part of your question is a really good one, and that is people can form very strong community networks and, you know, have very strong senses of solidarity among their neighbours when they are of a certain socioeconomic or, you know, or, or cultural or ethnic or religious group. Uh, and even when it's kind of mixed up. I mean, there's been a lot of really interesting work done by a guy called Chris Allen in the UK who talks about those very, very strong, supportive community networks um, that form um, just where there's a common socioeconomic base, even if there's a huge amount of cultural and ethnic and religion, religious diversity within that kind of socioeconomic group. Um, and, of course, those... Um, those bonds can be incredibly important to not just economic well-being but mental and, and social well-being. Um, and, in fact, there is already data coming out to suggest that the people who are relocated from those estates and, you know, separated from their from their communities, from their social support networks, from their doctors and community health services and so on and so on. And remember, inner Melbourne and inner Sydney are very well resourced, right? I mean, we've got community health centres, pools, sports centres, libraries, um, public transport, close to shops. Do you know what I mean? They, they're actually really, really well-serviced areas. Um which is a bit different to, you know, the some of the estates in the US that are, you know, the scenario of the wire in Baltimore where you've got not just, um, you know, one or two high-rises, but you've got multiple estates and they are in themselves encased within um, much broader private as well as public neighbourhoods of, you know, deep poverty with... It has to be said, a very, very strong racial entity. I mean, this is not just about, these are not just poor neighbourhoods, they're black neighbourhoods. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge stigmatisation that goes around those sorts of hoods, you know, of the hoods of the wire, um, that simply doesn't apply in a Melbourne and inner Sydney. Um, the estates in inner Sydney and inner Melbourne are unlike the uh, estates of you know some of the Rust Belt cities and more impoverished cities of the US, um, where there is deep and systematic um, and very extended poverty. And just then you heard part of an episode of Women on the Line from Monday the 28th of September. Uh, in this short excerpt, we heard Anya Saravanan interviewing Dr. Kate Shaw about the policy of social mixing on the Carlton housing estate. If you want to hear the rest of the episode and all the other wonderful episodes of Women on the Line, you can go to 3cr.org.au slash women on the line. Or you can listen live on 855am on Monday mornings between 8.30 and 9. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. 
After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains. And the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR, 855 AM. So last week we talked about the journalist, the Moroccan journalist Omar Radi, who is an award-winning investigative journalist. Um, and he's been in custody since July 29, and he appeared before court on September 23 on charges of espionage and rape. So Radi faces 10 years in prison if convicted on what human rights groups say are a kind of trumped-up sex charges often used to target critics. This includes other journalists from independent newspaper Akbar Alayum, so Taufik Bouashrin and Suleiman Raisuni, and also his niece Hajar Raisuni, and we covered this last year uh, when Hajar Raisuni was arrested in front of a gynecology clinic for apparently having extramarital uh, sex or sex outside marriage. So all these journalists have faced some sort of sex charge uh, in an effort to dis- discredit them by the Moroccan state. So this kind of happens quite regularly where if the state doesn't like what you're doing, it will stop at nothing. It will use your private life and instrumentalise gender politics and also women's rights in order to silence critics. Only if you days ago on October 2nd, investigative journalist Imad Stitu, who is a sole witness in the alleged rape case brought against Omar Radi, um, is now charged with participation in the assault of a woman with violence and participation in rape. Um, and like I explained last week, it's very hard to report um, on this when uh, the Moroccan government has or when uh, the, the Moroccan state has um, a legacy, let's say, of using uh, and weaponizing women's rights to discredit um, and silence critical journalism. So continuing this trend and further afield across North Africa, in Algeria, journalist and rights activist Abdelkarim Zeklesh has recently received a two-year prison sentence for, I quote, insulting the President of the Republic. The, this move was condemned by rights organisations across the world. Also, uh, Algerian journalist and rights activist uh, Khaled Rarini sentence was reduced to two years after an appeal hearing uh, a, a few weeks ago in September. 
So Reporter Sans Frontier Secretary General Christophe Delois said that Khaled's detention proves that the regime locks itself into a logic of absurd, unfair and violent repression. And so ahead of the constitutional referendum on November 1st, 31 human rights groups called on Algerian authorities to end the relentless prosecution and harassment of civil society members and journalists. So in Egypt on September 20, it was the anniversary of the largest crackdown on protests in Egypt since Sisi came to power. So in 2019, more than 4,000 people were swept up, including journalists and activists who didn't even take part in the protests. Many are still in jail over unfounded terrorism-related charges. And in recent weeks, security state, uh, state security forces were deployed across Cairo in particular uh, in public spaces ahead of the anniversary. And they've just been randomly stopping and searching citizens', citizens phones and detaining hundreds amid sporadic protests that were quickly dispersed. Also, after initially denying the presence of protests, 68 miners were arrested in this security crackdown and they were just recently released by the public prosecution in a rare public acknowledgement. Also, uh, control over online freedom of expression and also access to information has expanded across, uh, throughout the global pandemic. So uh, according to associations like the Association of Freedom of Thought and Expression, security apparatuses have detained dozens of citizen activists and even doctors for online comments that criticise the regimes or, or government's handling of the pandemic. There's a growing lawsuit around this subject called the Corona case. Also blocked and detained, I guess, in a way throughout the pandemic have been new sites. And so there's been a growing number of new sites added to the block list, uh, the government's block list since 2017. Also last month in September, rights groups like the Arabic Network for Human Rights Information, so ANHRI, so A-N-H-R-I is the acronym, and the Community for Technology and Law, MASAR, launched a campaign to demand the public public's right to access of information and pressure and to pressure the authorities to stop this block of news websites. You can find out more if you visit their website on www.anhri.info. Also in Tunisia, uh, the Press Council of Tunisia was established in September. The council is the first independent body of its kind in the region and it will look to play a vital role in safeguarding press, inf- press freedom and the right to information and free expression in Tunisia. And it's a task that's made increasingly difficult amidst rising trend of fake news, according to Article 19, a human rights organisation based in Tunisia. And if you want to find out more about what's going on in Morocco, uh, you can just go. The best way is to go online or on Twitter, um, or you can go to Human Rights Watch or Amnesty International, or the Reporters Sans Frontières, so RSF, websites. And we're just going to play the uh, Internationale, which is originally a French um, song, 
Um, and it was called The Final Fight. Um, and it was composed in the 19th century and it's been the standard for socialist and left-wing movements um, across the world. People call it the international communist anthem. Uh, but Omar Radi, who is the jailed journalist I spoke of earlier, uh, he sings it in uh, the Moroccan dialect of Arabic. Uh, and so we're just going to play that for you right now. Omar Radi, the jailed Moroccan journalist, singing in Arabic the Internationale. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. You're listening to the Thursday Breakfast Show on 3CR 855 AM. Next up, you'll hear an interview with Zachary, who's a delegate for the Renters and Housing Union, or RAHU. Hey, Zachary. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me on the show. Hi, Priya. Thanks for having me. So maybe we'll get started by finding out a bit about RAHU. Who are you and when did you form and why? The Renters and Housing Union are, is a union of, of renters and some homeowners in solidarity. We voted to unionize about three months ago. Um, out of so members of the COVID nineteen rent strike voted to unionize about three months ago. We need an empowering organization where we can advocate for our rights and organize on the basis of current conditions for a better future. Yeah, absolutely, and definitely addressing some of those key concerns around housing security during the pandemic as well. Um, so. Uh, why did you decide to organize as a union and how does your, uh, the work that you do differ from organizations like Tenants Victoria? So in, in March, when our, when our incomes dried up, like in the, in the blink of an eye, when you realize you didn't have an income, um, we all realized how precarious our housing is. Now I understand that for a lot of people, their housing is already precarious all the time uh but in, in march like a huge amount of people realized this and we also realized we didn't have a collective voice uh so 
Rahu's organisation, which which will provide a collective voice as well as these other other opportunities like organisation um, and education. So 83% of Victorians rent to not really have a body in which to self, self-advocate, I think is a bit of a problem. So Rahu addresses that. Ten- Tenants Vic, once upon a time, I think they were a union, but they are no longer, they're only really a union maybe in name and even then not really... Um, for instance, you go to the Tenants Vic website and you can read some good information, and I think I think that's important. Um, but you can't you can't really join in. There's no membership. You can donate. You can tell them a story, but um, but that's about as far as it goes. I see that there's a problem in the renting in the renting world um, that we don't know our rights. Uh, that we're inordinately scared and mystified by certain terms or certain instruments like um, I think the blacklist is, is a good example of something that is widely misunderstood. Yeah. So, so inside the union, we educate by not just like reading, reading lists, but by actually like the practice of our rights, um, you know, in negotiations and, and then in, in more outward facing education. I think there's something pretty different between being a renter and actually doing this or that based on your rights and just reading something that an advocate might have to say. Now, I don't, I don't say that to denigrate advocacy at all, uh, but I think there's a difference. So I would say like Rahu is organized renters, not organizing renters. And maybe a distinction to make is that Rahu's entry requirements are economic. So no landlords or other per- people with economic positions inconsistent with our purpose. Um, but non-voting solidarity membership is available to homeowners. Uh, and, and I think this is important. Um, if your kids rent or if you've purchased a home through like Homes Vic Shared Equity or something like this, or if you are, you know, maybe you're a lifelong unionist and like pretty interested in this idea of community union. Yeah. So Rahu is available to this type of people. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to have um, an organizing body that is made up of people that are affected by these issues. Um, So you mentioned, uh, you know, membership and and alignment with key goals, but could you let us know uh, some of those key goals and principles that Rahu operates on? So our priorities are to address the power imbalance between the ownership class and, and the renting class. This is an unequal economic relationship that needs to be addressed. So that, that would be a priority in general. And a media priority would be making sure that during the pandemic, renters don't get a bad outcome for things that are out of their control. We can't see increased homelessness. We can't see renters being forced to bear the brunt of the cost, these, these kind of things. And then our principles would be um, that economic criteria that I just, I just covered. So the principles of alignment um, and then the principles of like member run and member led. So we are, yeah, a new based on membership. The membership does the work. Yeah. The, this kind of, this kind of thing. And inside the union decision-making is on that democratic level, taking decisions in meetings, voting on decisions. 
yeah, the work is planned out by members and then the members do the work. Yeah, thank you so much for clarifying. Um, so during COVID-19, we've seen some changes put forward by the Andrews government, including a temporary ban on evictions and a temporary pause on rental increases. Uh, but I know that these changes haven't gone quite far enough. And there's also been some issues and tensions with the Real Estate Institute of Victoria or REIV, which describes itself as the peak body for real estate professionals. And I guess those two forces are really having an impact on renters in Victoria. So could you tell us about some of the tensions or concerns with both the government's response, but also with uh, this real estate um, peak body? Let's start with the government's response. Uh, the government identified, you know, through however, it, whatever it can see that there was an issue. So the government said, um, you know, we need, there can be no evictions um, for these reasons and no, um, there can be no rent increases, you know, for these reasons. And then as like um, social distancing or, or different types of lockdowns increased or decreased, we'd get inspections or no inspections and the, these sort of things. So the government is attempting to act on the basis of like prudent, health and safety and not increasing homelessness, which I think is like fairly correct. Um, as you identified, there are some issues with this. So what wasn't welcome was the government decision to hard lock down public housing. That's no good. Uh, the government decision to rent a bunch of private dwellings to the homeless is good. I think that's good, but it suffers from short termism, I, I think in a, in a big way. During this time, when we are understanding like how important housing is, like the fundamental of importance, fundamental importance of housing to uh, to people, you know, to just people on a human level, and then to the economy, on you know, on a on a money level, like um, we're finding this out. What would be good if we had more dwellings that were accessible, appropriate. Uh, and affordable for, for us. And I don't mean affordable in the political term, affordable housing. I mean affordable in terms of income. So during this time, there should be further construction and expansion of public housing dwellings. But instead, there's been demolitions, as we show at Ascot Vale and in Brunswick Rest mid this year. Um, so the importance of public housing is something that I think all of us are going to have to start to understand a lot more. Uh, so the Andrews government's decisions regarding renters during COVID-19, you can't terminate a tenancy for rental arrears. You know, that seems, um, you know, pretty responsible right now. Some people can't pay, uh, but you can terminate a tenancy for rental arrears where your tenant wouldn't suffer financial hardship if they didn't pay. So there you can see that their legislation is trying to stop people from just taking the piss. Uh, but, what can happen in outcome is that um, people are getting dragged before tribunals for attempted termination when it's very clear they can't pay. Um, yeah. So I think that'd be a, a poor outcome or like an unintended outcome of like the way the legislation has been rolled out. And I mean, it happened quite quickly. So yeah. Uh, I hope that the government acts, acts in good faith when it does this, right? I mean, it expects us to act in good faith when we negotiate with our agents for rent reductions. And, you know, I expect the government would act in, in good faith. You know, I would hope that. And some of the listeners may think that is quite naive. 
Uh, and fair enough, that's fair enough. Because into the fray enters some very bad faith actors in the form of the Real Estate Institute of Victoria, um, who called, you know, a month or so ago for a rent reduction strike or something or something like this. So what we're seeing is like a um, pro-cruelty, pro-financial hardship rebellion by the ownership class who are branding themselves as the um, forgotten people in a, you know, it's pretty, it's, it's funny, but it, it's sad because that kind of, those kind of jokes have a bad outcome for people like us. Uh, but like we can draw some sort of lessons from, from this. The REIV described itself as the peak body for, you know, real estate and they're very organized. Uh, a big section of the bourgeois press has, has a sympathetic ear for the REIV and are fairly happy to print things like um, forgot, landlords of forgotten people or sort of wild claims about how because we can't um, inspect like open homes, I want to buy a house, but I can't. And now I'm going to be homeless. Like these really bizarre sort of, oh, I could never become a renter because renting is dead money, like just wild, wild stuff. So yeah, the REIV is playing the victim card in a big way. They're playing victim card to the detriment of any other angle they might play, they play the victim card. And I'd have very little sympathy for this because the bulk of government income payments go to landlords in the form of like direct, direct assistance, cutting land tax, negative gearing, you know, uh, the tax concessions around capital gains and then stopgap measures like um, the $80 million DHHS rent relief grant, which is branded as being something that is for renters, but is for landlords and facilitated by renters uh, and seems to be providing some like weird or creating some weird outcomes in when we talk about rent reductions. So, the REIV, what I find very irritating about them is that they only know how to punch down and um, you end up in <laughs> this strange like situation where I think it, the meme goes, I didn't realise my landlord was living from my paycheck to my paycheck. Yeah, it's, um, it's really concerning, you know, to see during a situation where, you know, we're entering a recession um, there's a huge amount of job losses. Um, you know, there've been cutbacks to job seeker and people are really experiencing quite severe financial hardship. And some people for, you know, the first time might be experiencing a level of severe financial insecurity. Um, and seeing this sort of punching down is something, you know, that might keep the real estate market afloat, but it's definitely, it's definitely not going to, um, benefit anybody past that. So um, in light of what we've just discussed, could you tell us about some of your recent campaigns and how Rahu's been pushing back against this? So without getting stuck down in the weeds of fighting back on every single sort of media release that the REIV might release, we've been working on presenting a like renter focused response to the issues that confront us as renters we called for a, a like a long extension to the eviction moratorium. And while we're happy to see that it is extended to March, September would have been better 
it is good to see that there's an option to extend the eviction moratorium to April. Um, it would be better that the eviction moratorium um, extends past when the uh, amendments to the Residential Tenancies Act come in. I think there are some issues around that. With, and that, sorry, that might be part of an upcoming campaign. As you're correct about job seeker and job keeper, you know, it's important that these essential payments, which are keeping people afloat, like aren't reduced. Uh, their, their current levels, job seeker is too low. Um, that part-time job seeker payment, job keeper payment can be popped up with job seeker. That's kind of good. Um, but for job seeker recipients, that doesn't really, doesn't really exist. We've been working to build migrant renter representation inside the union. Um, migrant renters being dragged uh, from, from the get-go as well, from the get-go. Some very shady operators are involved in the provision of student housing, for instance. Yeah, so we've been working on getting migrant renter representation inside the union Yeah, for migrants to, to identify and act on on their like their issues on on their terms i think it's pretty important yeah definitely and i mean in terms of the work that you're doing together um is this on the individualized level like supporting people to know and enact their rights or um does this involve also you know like lobbying government at a at a higher level or a mixture of the two yeah, good question. Um, we do, yeah, we do a mixture, I'd say. So we do uh, casework, and that would be your individual, your individual thing. Then we do group work. I think is a better way to describe it. And um, group work, the collab- collaborative work on this or that uh, issue is is important for education. Some of the people involved in Rahu are like real guns at their chosen chosen fields and at some of them are like just whatever they apply their minds to it's like pretty inspiring um individual work group work and then yeah lobbying yeah so we made a submission to parliament um around response to COVID-19 and how it's affected renters yeah we, we don't want to turn into a lobbying only body um at this time, this socially distanced time for when we listen to this in the future, the opportunities for certain activities are, um, are nil. So work like lobbying gains, gains some importance or, or maybe gains a higher degree of importance that um, then a group like ours may have, may have applied to it at, at a different time, at a different time. Yeah, and I mean, there's always various levels that... Um that this kind of work happens at. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about maybe some of the upcoming work that you're doing, you know, not, not in, not in a huge amount of detail if, if there's, um, you know, if there's still stuff in the pipes, but I was really interested in the idea of um, investigating issues around renter debt and maybe some of the issues that Rahu has identified um, with renters accruing debt during the pandemic. Uh, work can, work continues in in our various groups to understand the breadth of the rental debt problem uh, arise from deferrals during the pandemic arise from inability to pay your rent uh, and and the outcome of of the debt like poverty 
um, inability to pay bond at a subsequent property, you know, the risk of homelessness increasing. Um, yeah, look, suffice it to say that people who legitimately can't pay a debt won't be liable to pay the debt. You can't get blood out of a stone. Yeah, and I think it's something that we'll be definitely keeping an eye out for and hopefully we'll get to chat to you in the future about this because um, I can imagine, you know, we're not going to see the full extent of the financial hardship that people have experienced, you know, even within this year. Um, during during the pandemic. So um, where can people find out more information about Rahu and keep up to date on your campaigns? So rahu.org.au, the website has a sign-up form on it. You know, it's important to us. Uh, membership is key. I mean, yeah, we are member-run and member-led, so the membership is really key. And then, and then the socials. Um, I believe it's renters, so R-A-H union on Twitter and Instagram. And then on Facebook, I think it's renters and housing union. I didn't, I didn't have my, I didn't do my homework for that bit. Sorry. No, that's all right. I'm sure if people look up, yeah, renters and housing union across all platforms, they'll be able to find you. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And um, I really appreciate you making the time. Thanks, Priya. Thanks a lot. This is Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. You just heard an interview that I did with Zachary, who's a delegate for the Renters and Housing Union, or Rahu. Zachary joined me to discuss Rahu's origins, their work, and their concerns regarding Victorian renters' rights during COVID-19. So uh, another big show. Thank you all for listening to 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast. Um, So a bit of a rundown. First up, you heard a local 30-minute mix from me. So I just chose a lot of local selections of music. Um, And then we heard a segment from Women on the Line that aired on the 28th of September where where Anya Saravanan interviewed Dr Kate Shaw on the policy of social mixing on Carlton's public housing estate and that episode of Women on the Line was produced by Ayan Shirwa. And then as part of our ongoing poetry segment we heard uh, three poems by Rebecca Jessen and then uh, we heard from Scheherazade who gave us a bit of an update about Imad Situ who was arrested by authorities in Morocco. And then lastly, we just heard from Zachary, a delegate for the Renters and Housing Union, or RAHU, who spoke with Priya about RAHU's origins, work and concerns regarding Victorian renters' rights during COVID-19. So that's all we have time for this week, but join us back here next week. And now to Lost in Science. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's radical independent bookseller and venue for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Or check them out at nibs.org.au to find more information about upcoming discussions and events.